All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. Uh, joining us virtually for our Sunday sermon. Uh, we're continuing our series on prayer. And before I dive into any practicals or principles about prayer specifically, I'd like to first start with a question and a story. And so here's the question. What does somebody mean when they say they can see the writing on the wall? They can see the writing on the wall. Think about that for a second. Okay, so now here's the story. One evening, a long time ago, the king of Babylon was hosting a feast. And this was no small gathering. King Belshazzar was giving a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles. The food was unimaginable. The wine, endless and flowing. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He does this so that he and his nobles and his wives and his concubines could all drink from these fine golden goblets. Golden goblets that had been taken directly from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drink from God's goblets. And as they drank that wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. This story, of course, can be found in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is the 27th book of the Old Testament. It's the very last of the major prophets. And so for someone who's reading through the Old Testament They've already seen hundreds of years of the Israelites' history, the history of God's people up until this point, and they've probably at this point already identified a clear cycle. God's people sin, and then they're enslaved. They repent, and then they're delivered. They serve God for a while, only to fall once again into sin and idolatry over and over again. As we hear this story of an earthly king reveling in lust, in drunkenness, in gluttony, in idolatry, we can see the writing on the wall for what's about to happen to King Belshazzar. In popular culture, of course, this phrase I can see the writing on the wall means that there are signs clearly pointing that something is about to end, something is about to change and be different. It means that someone knows that they're about to get fired from their job or that some relationship that they're in is effectively over. Yeah, I can see the writing on the wall. We'll pick up the story in Daniel 5, 5, Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. So suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, 
His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will be made the third highest ruler in all of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. And so a literal hand uh, appears and writes something on the wall. And all of the king's wise men and advisors, they can't interpret the writing. But then the queen remembers Daniel because he's interpreted signs and dreams before. And so he's called in to interpret what is written. Verse 13 says, So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel? one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and to tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. You'll be made the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts and uh, give your rewards to somebody else, but nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And so he goes on and he explains what the writing on the wall Means And it basically points to Nebuchadnezzar and says, Hey, look, uh, your father was feared. Your father was a great king. And, and actually, because he humbled himself, when confronted with God, things ended up working out okay for him. Now, he acknowledged that the Most High God was sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and that he sets over them anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar basically recognized the God of Daniel is the God over all gods, and so we're gonna, we're gonna respect him as he deserves. But then a stark contrast is made between Nebuchadnezzar and his son, Belshazzar. And so this is the point where Daniel then is able to explain this difference between father and son. Let's pick it up in verse 22. It says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, ha- have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets brought from his temple, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and Gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you cannot hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all of your ways. Would you like to know what this writing means? Okay, 
I'll tell you what it means. Here's what it means. God has numbered the days of your reign and He's brought it to an end. You've been weighed on the scales and have been found wanting. So your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. Daniel says that the writing is a warning to the king that his days are numbered. And in fact, the kingdom will end very soon. Despite this haunting uh, revelation that Daniel gives the king, he's you know he's still clothed with a, a, a you know a, in purple. He's given that gold chain that was talked about. It's placed around his neck. He's proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But then that very night, the prophecy does come true, and the king is dead by the morning. Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, is slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I wanted to read uh, chapter 5 to remind us of Daniel's character and to place this next episode of his life that we're about to read about in the proper context. Do you remember Daniel in chapter 1 of this book? That's when he and his friends are taken captive from Judah uh, by the Babylonian army. As they're captured, they're all given new names. Uh, Daniel is given the name uh, Belteshazzar. Hananiah is given the name Shadrach. Uh, Mishael is given the name Meshach. And Azariah is given the name Abednego. And of course, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from their story in chapter 3. But all, all four of these guys, they're described as young men without any physical defect. They're handsome. Uh, they're showing aptitude for every kind of learning. They're well-informed. They understand things quickly. They're qualified to serve in the king's palace because they themselves have a royal blood or they're from this royal line. And they're given new names. They're given new food, which you know they don't eat, by the way. They're taught the new language and the literature of the Babylonians. Basically, their entire world is turned upside down. They're taken away from their homeland and they say, okay, now this is your world now. You're going to live in a different way. This is what it's going to be like. Nothing will be like it was before. Good luck. And yet, in all of this, in this turmoil, they've resolved not to defile themselves in any way. So, God blesses them. And then at the same time, uh, he gives moms everywhere a great Bible verse to support the regular consumption of vegetables. But Daniel has a character. He has conviction. He has courage. He's close to God. This is who he was. And despite every reason not to be, he was consistent in chapter 1 and then now in chapter 5. Many years pass by the time we get to chapter 5 and we witness this crazy overthrow of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel is no longer a young man. He's been in Babylon now for 70 years meaning that he's certainly in his, in his 80s, but maybe even in his 90s. I, I can't say anything about whether at this point he's still handsome or not, but I'd like to imagine that he's got things happening to his body that he'd like to categorize as physically defective. You know, before he didn't have any defects, eh, maybe now, not so much, I don't know. 
And even still, with all this, uh, Darius, who's the conqueror of Babylon that is coming in, he immediately puts Daniel in charge of the Babylonian government uh, because it was Daniel who had just foretold of the victory of the Medes. So Darius uh, appoints 120 men to rule throughout the kingdom and to maintain order in this transition. But Daniel is placed as an administrator uh, one of three administrators over this group of 120 other leaders. It's a huge compliment to Daniel's wisdom, to his integrity, to his experience, but understandably, it's uh, not a choice that everyone likes, uh, especially these guys that um, are you know, now under the direction of Daniel. So after some time, Daniel distinguishes himself even among those three administrators that were in charge of the rest of the 120. And so the king, at this point, he's planning to put Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. And that's where we'll pick up the story here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. It says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Like, we got it. We found the weak point. We found the thing that's going to get him. We know that he's got this conviction, and we're going to try to use that against him. Picking up in verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. You've heard this before. You've seen this strategy before. Look, 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 everybody agrees. Hey, this is what you ought to do. And then now they're using this as a way to convince the king to do something really that he doesn't even want to do. Verse 8, check it out. It says, Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Clearly, this is a trap. Uh, there's a lot of drama and tension, a lot of uh, politics going on. Uh, but that's not really what excites me about this story. Um, what inspires me is Daniel's response to a highly stressful situation, because that's super relatable to me. Being in a highly stressful situation, how do I respond? What do I do when things are tough? And in light of insurmountable odds, potential death and destruction, Daniel makes a choice. This is so inspiring here in verse 10. Check it out. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. In this one verse, we get a boatload of practicals about prayer. And so I'd like to use this verse and the examples that we see in Daniel's prayer life to inspire us to model our prayers after his. 
really, the, the practicals don't hit as hard unless we understand the context of the story that they're sitting within. But with all of this stuff going on, the overthrow of the government, all this stuff, he decides, I'm going to pray. But now let's see, what do his prayers look like in the midst of all of this stuff? The first practical that we can take. Daniel didn't let outside factors change his internal convictions. I'll say that one more time. Daniel didn't let outside factors change his internal convictions. How are you doing with that one? Uh, Do you let outside factors, which are just really outside of your control, change how you act or change what you believe or know to be right? We know a couple things. Daniel learned about the decree. He understood that it had been published. It wasn't just like a a rumor that was going around. He knew this thing was real. And yet his convictions remain steadfast in all of that. Daniel did not let outside factors change his internal convictions. He went home to his upstairs room. Okay, so hey, Daniel had a prayer place. Uh, He had a place. He had a spot that he went to. He goes home to his upstairs room. He has a prayer place. Why do you think that he maybe has this? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple reasons that we could gather. One, for sure, because it helped him focus. This is a place where I'm going to do prayer. Do you have a prayer place that helps you focus on what you're about to do, which is convene and communicate with the Most High God? I want to share with you a little bit about my prayer place. It's actually uh, right here in the church building in my office. Um, it, it really does help me focus on prayer to have a specific place where I know this is a protected place where I'm going to pray. It helps remind me of the bigger picture. In my prayer place, uh, I have a number of things that help me focus. Uh, one, I've got a map of Parkland uh, College, and I have a map of the University of Illinois. This is my mission field. You know, as a campus minister, this is what I'm thinking about where I'm, you know, on campus all the time. I'm, I'm thinking about these things. And so as I pray, I pray over the different campuses and the, the different buildings, uh, you know, on both uh, the, the, you know, Parkland College and the U of I campus. And that helps me. Uh, I've got a map of the Midwest, you know, in our region. Uh, that's our region uh, of the ICOC, right? The International Churches of Christ. We're in the Midwest family of churches. And so I'm thinking about uh, those other churches all the time. It's 25 plus churches, but I've got a list of all of those churches, the ministers who work uh, at those places, the campus ministers, and and I look over the list and I pray over the names of these different people in our Midwest family of churches. Uh, I have a wooden plaque which uh, represents Odessa, Ukraine, and you know all of our missions uh, work that we do there and the special relationship that we have with that church in Odessa. And so I pray about Odessa. I've got a uh, poster that shows the persecuted nations in our world. Uh, it, it's a, a map. It's, it's cool. It's a map that shows uh, the nations where Christianity is moder- monitored by the government, where it's restricted by the government, and the nations that are actively hostile against Christianity. This reminds me how lucky we are to live in the U.S. and to have the freedoms that we have. And I'm I'm inspired and reminded to be thankful. And I also pray for our churches that are in these more challenging places in the world. Uh, I also have a globe where uh, where I, I just, you know, 
I'll spin it and, you know, point at a country and just pray at it. Or, uh, you know, I'll, I'll think about, you know, world issues and pray about uh, and pray over this globe. Uh, I also have a, a verse from Philemon, uh, actually verses 4 through 7 of Philemon framed, and they help me focus as well. That verse, uh, if you don't remember, it says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Amen. That's the relationship that I want with other disciples. One where I remember them and they remember me. Where we both believe that when we come to God in prayer, great things can happen. This is my war room. This is where I go to ask God for help. And I I don't go there as often as I should. But I have a prayer place. Do you have a prayer place where you go to come to the Lord in prayer? In Daniel's room, he has his windows opened towards Jerusalem. He focused on God's presence. You know, this is significant. Uh, Why? Well, okay, the temple was in Jerusalem, meaning God's presence was in Jerusalem. So, of course, he's going to look towards God's presence. We now get the benefit of God's presence being everywhere. Once the temple, uh, or once the, the curtain was torn in the temple. Now, that means that God's Spirit isn't just in the Holy of Holies, but it's it's everywhere. It's been released. It's living in us if we've been baptized. And and so, it's a little bit different, but at the same time, we get we get the idea. We understand. There's, there's a clear connection to the presence of God while He's praying, knowing and focusing that I'm talking to God right now. It's a good thing to look at people while you're talking to them, uh, to, to, you know, to look at them, focus on them. Little kids need to learn this. Hey, uh, look at, look at me when I'm talking to you, or hey, look at me when you're talking to me, and so I can hear you and understand you. Uh, he prayed three times a day. Daniel had a schedule to his prayer. How are you doing with this? You know, we know that this is something that's helpful, but, uh, without a schedule, it's simply just not gonna happen. Daniel knew that three times a day, this time is for the Lord. He got down on his knees and he prayed. So he had a schedule, but he was now, he's, he's physically involved. He's submitted in reverence with this act. I, I want to remind you too, at this point, he's, he's 90 years old. This is probably not an easy thing for him to do, but he's still getting down on his knees to pray. You know, getting in a right uh, and prayerful posture can be so helpful in helping us focus on what it is that we're doing, talking to the most high God of the universe. Sometimes I think that we can maybe get a little bit too casual with our prayers. It's good to have a reverent, submissive uh, act toward God, like kneeling down or laying down uh, and, and praying to Him in that way. It instantly alerts your body that something, hey, something is happening here. I'm in the presence of God. I'm submitting to Him. He's my Lord. 
And then it says that he was giving thanks to God. He, he was thankful no matter what. Whoa, 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 wait, giving thanks? He gave thanks? Yeah, even in this time, immediately after a decree is given, which makes things around him seem hopeless or dark, in this, Daniel was still thankful. Are your prayers primarily based in thanks? Or do you immediately, when you talk to God, dive into a long list of your requests or even demands about things that you'd like him to do? Of course, God wants us to cast all of our anxieties and all of our burdens on him. But even in this, uh, we need to do this in a thankful way. And then finally, uh, rounding out this verse 10, says, And he prayed just as he had done before. I want to reemphasize that first point that I made, that Daniel didn't let outside factors change his internal convictions. He kept focused on the Lord even in this challenging time. His uh, relationship with God, his convictions to pray to God, uh, were not changed in the slightest by a governmental mandate. And of course, uh, we know what happens next in the story. The men come and they find Daniel praying to God and asking for help. And so they go back to the king just like they thought this might work out and they remind him of the decree that he has signed into effect. Uh, they, you know, even though the king doesn't like it, he agrees that Daniel must be thrown into the lion's den. Um, the rest of the story uh, is incredible. It's amazing. We, we, we know what happens. Verse 16, so the king gives the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. You gotta love this. So the, the king recognizes the relationship that Daniel had with God. Can people recognize that relationship with you? Do they know, yeah, this is somebody who serves God continually. Uh, a lot of this was because of his prayerful disposition that was public, that was able to be seen by others. Who was, it was a known thing that Daniel was a prayerful person. A stone was placed, uh, over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the whole night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. The first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty, by the way. He reminds him, look, I never did anything wrong to get into this situation. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You know, the, the book of Daniel is, is written to encourage the exiled Jews by revealing God has a sovereign plan for Israel during and after all of these, you know, all of this captivity and all of this difficulty that, look, Israel's going to suffer under these Gentile powers for many years, but this is not a permanent thing. 
this is not going to be the way that it will be forever. God at some point will establish a messianic kingdom, uh, and it's going to last forever. Now, we get the benefit of living during this time where Christ has come. He lived a perfect life. He died for us. If uh, we trust in Him and obey Him, we have an opportunity to be part of this kingdom. Daniel hoped that the messianic kingdom would come, but instead he had to wait. He had to be patient uh, for the Lord's deliverance. This morning, I hope that you are inspired by Daniel's relationship with the Lord and that you've gotten some ideas from his prayer life that you can apply to your own life starting today. I want to encourage you uh, to remember the practicals about prayer that we saw in Daniel's life. Don't let outside factors change your internal convictions, which are based on the Word of God. Establish a prayer place so that you can focus on God's presence and really give Him the attention that He deserves. Make a schedule, you know, and then stick to it. When you do pray, get physically involved. Go ahead and kneel. Submit to the Lord in that way, showing that you revere Him as the Lord of your life. And remember to be thankful no matter what. God has given us so much. Uh, I'm so grateful for all of you. Uh, Let's go ahead and we'll end today's sermon with a prayer. Uh, Bow with me. God, uh, I just want to come before you thanking you for everything that you've done in our lives. God, we don't deserve the kind of uh, just love that you've bestowed on us and showered us with, the favor that you give in our lives, uh, but God, we are so grateful for it. Uh, God, I pray that we would trust that you are going to take care of our life and our uh, just our troubles. Man, God, I can't imagine being thrown into a pit with lions uh, because a a governmental official ordered that to happen in my life. That's crazy, God. And yet, Daniel was still faithful, trusted in you, was patient for your deliverance. God, I pray that we would be patient for deliverance uh, from the different situations going on in our world, uh, that we would be able to be faithful and positive throughout those things, and that we would be a light to others. God, we love you, and we want to pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.